It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Film lovers, welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. Also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosey. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. I have guests in the studio, and I have little audio nuggets for all three of them. First off, from the film yap and, uh, and indie style, we have Chris Lloyd. The problem with Good this tearjerker is that my, my tears were not jerked. The- <laughs> we, uh, I'm not going to ask about that. And, uh, and, of course, you know this man. <laughs> yes. It's called Inception. So I want the Zimmer for Children album. <laughs> blown your speakers out already <laughs> somewhere somewhere in the world Hans Zimmer is twitching but uh, <laughs> Brian Hartz is here and to debut I think this is making its film sociology debut Monica yes. Hartz's new intro oh duh you're not my supervisor duh <laughs> you're not my supervisor <laughs> duh you're not my supervisor Ooh, uh, she's got a weapon drop it you're not my supervisor so we're just done with phrasing right that's not a thing anymore duh do you think that's wise <laughs> This is so boring and forever taking. Duh. <gasps> Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. I'm not tasering you, so just. Jimmy! <clears throat> Thank you. Duh. She's so weird. Hey, will you choke me a little bit? Duh. <laughs> Hi, Monica. Hi. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks yeah, for that. Sure. Actually, a little near the end of the show, I do have an audio Christmas present. Uh, it's a little late to to the Hearts, and it involves yes, it's it involves the their account. it involves their daughter and, oh. and and this show, which is really an unholy alliance. Soon, or it will soon. Be. as yeah, soon as we can get her to sit in a studio for more than a few minutes. Oh, I can't. Yeah, the, to pepper her with film questions is going to be spectacular right. in a few years. So we're yes. working on it. All right, um, moving on, moving on from that. Um, new in theaters today, and it's so funny because this is a film. Well, both films that are new in theaters. By the way, they did not screen Underworld 
the new Underworld for, film for us in advance. Don't know why. Take that, screen gems. <laughs> but, uh, but it's the annual Kate Beckinsale gets a big check and good for her. And this helps balance out, I guess, the work she did in Love and Friendship. There so, you go. So there's, there's that. You'll do one for me, one for the studio kind of thing. I will always watch her in PVC Live. Well, as will I. Um, but I. But she can't wear that outfit in Love and Friendship. That's No, no, probably or not. Or Jane Austen's Underworld. But that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but no. But, but I want to see that. These are two. We'll work on that. But there, there's two films that we received as screeners at the IFJA. And it seems like it's been a while. But I've wound up seeing Hidden Figures a couple more times because of my family. Um, Chris, your thoughts on, on Hidden Figures. This is uh, Taraja P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, and... Jessica Monet. Jessica Monet. I think is how you pronounce it. Right, and it's the true story of three African-American women working in NASA in the 60s. Yeah, and uh, Kevin Costner and the biggest star in television, Jim Parsons. Well, yeah. Supposedly. Well, no, the question... Well, maybe highest paid. Anyway. No, when, but no, I think when you have a film like this, you know, I, and this is going to be terrible, but the question is, how bad are the white characters... Because you have you have Kirsten Dunst, who's got a three in her age, by the way, um, and then yeah, Jim Parsons, and Parsons is probably the the least likable yeah, of the Caucasian characters, and and you know he's he's you also know there's going to be a turn, there's going to be a turn by films end, and and of course Kevin Costner is is the essence of white people in cinema. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Uh, That's kind of a good description of his career in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's the everyman white guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like this movie. It's it's not terribly surprising. It's sort of the formulaic, um, you know, inspiring stuff in history that you didn't know about uh, dramas. But you know, you, you sort of watch that, it for that's the... a shelf at the video store you don't see. <laughs> yeah, you, you, although you... it's probably a Netflix category. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You, you watch it for the performances, and you know the, the, you have the uplifting aspect, and you you walk out of it feeling good about you know. Humanity and people and the '60s and science <laughs> and astronauts and the whole deal and NASA. NASA look, comes across looking really, really great in this. Actually, so here's what you do: you see this film and then don't go on social media. Yeah. Just don't, but uh, because of news items, well, at least 48 hours. The, the yeah. thing I liked about it though is so many of these stories. You know, you know, say like, we're going to tell you an you know an inspiring story about uh, people who have been marginalized, and then we're going to put white people at this as the protagonist. You know, like the help. Here, right. here, you know, the African-American characters are definitely front and center, and the white people are off to the side, just supporting characters. Right. Kevin gets one big scene, yeah. and it's symbolic, because it involves a sign. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you'll see. You'll know it when you see it. But yeah, I think... It seems like it's obvious. Yeah. A little obvious. <laughs> it, um, almost as obvious as Brian's intro. But anyway... <laughs> hey, I admire that for its subtlety. We, <laughs> Of course. Are you going to... Contradict me about this? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. But yeah, this is this is a film, and, and it's funny because we get to the when we get to the second half of the film, John. There's a presence of John Glenn, of course, which you know hmm. sometimes fate and timing and history has a yeah. way of getting getting in the way of things. And uh, I think ever since Apollo 13, I think that kind of holds the bar as far as suspense in space. And you know, Apollo 13 is the epitome of you know how it ends if you actually crack a book, but it's still thrilling al along the way. Hidden Figures doesn't quite have that, yeah. except for the fact that the ladies and, and their their impact on how how they how they were able to get Glenn back on Earth. Yeah, and just briefly, so, you know, these women were all math geniuses. Right. At a time when people said the word computer, they were talking about a person and a job mm -hmm. description, not a, necessarily a machine. Although, actually, one of the things that happens there is Octavia Sp Spencer plays the woman who's been sort of kicked up to middle management, not quite sure what where she is. And then IBM brings, brings in one of their big machines that no one knows how to work, and she becomes the person who figures that things out. Uh, and uh, kind of you know takes the first step into the new future there of computing. Yes, so it, it, there is more human element than than the the second half of and, you know. There's a little a little bit of the outside world comes into play. There's a scene with Octavia Spencer in the library, and we have yeah. there, you know a sprinkling of demonstration. This is a film that could have been a a lot more heavy handed if it really wanted to be, and and thankfully. It isn't. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the three female leads are the strong, the, the best reason to see this film. P particularly Taraji P. Henson. I think that if there's anybody who's going to get an Oscar nomination out of this film, it would probably be her. It could be quite her. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's out there. Go check it out. I know I, I was talking, 
I was talking with the family, and, and Emma's like, well, I want to watch these movies, but they're so heavy. <laughs> and I no, said, not yeah. this one. No, not this one. She, she loved this. So, yeah, it's very cool. Judging by the snappy dialogue in the TV commercials, I can imagine that... Uh... Yeah, that that keeps it going. There mostly. is, the, yeah, the scene with the police officer is like the very first scene, and and that's that's kind of fun. And it goes uh, sideways from you know sort of what you're expecting to see in all those movies, right? Because you're we're You've expecting we're times. expecting you're like you're gonna have a Mississippi burning start. Yes. Oh, that's mm. no <laughs> no, that's a terrible way to start. But no, it does not do that. Okay. Also opening this weekend is a film that. Um, it's going to be challenging for some kids. It's going to be challenging for some parents. And to, to borrow a term from Maurice Sintek, let them wet their pants. Yeah. And it's a monster <laughs> calls. And it's uh, the kid from, I can't remember his name, I apologize, but it's the kid who was in Pan. Lewis McDougal. He was not the Very main good. character. He was a supporting guy in, in Pan. Correct. But but he plays a young lad who's, whose mom is dying, played by Felicity Jones. So for you Rogue One fans, um, mom's mom's not doing well. Mom has in the boy has to spend time with his grandmother, played by Sigourney Weaver. Ooh. I'm going to repeat that, guys. Grandmother <laughs> played by Sigourney Weaver, and there's a recurring character that pops up, a monster that kind of looks like a Groot's evil twin. And it's or one of the treants from the Lord of the Rings movie. I, That's I pretty good. Both when I saw and it. it's voiced by Liam Neeson. And what's cool about Liam Neeson gets the best. You know, when you, when, you get, when you get Aslan yeah, and that's this thing, thinking. that's, yeah. Um, but in, early on, it looks like it's going to be an adversary. It's, it's this kid's nightmares about what's going on. But as, as the film goes on, it's not really a spoiler, the monster is helping him through what is going on in real life. Um, again, it's not Trolls. It's not Sing. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's, you can go see the fluff. But I would say if you really want to challenge your kids, and really, you, you really should a little bit. Um this isn't Shakespeare. So you're saying it's interesting. I think it's very interesting, and I think it's really well done. Um, it's, it's fantastic. It, it, it looks great, and again, it's, it, it handles subject matter that um, you know, I think a, a big studio couldn't, couldn't handle a subject like this. Yeah, this was um, number three on my top ten list, so I really adore That's it. That's really up there. Uh, and it is. this is not, quote-unquote, a children's movie. You know, people see, like, the CGI character, and they think, like, this is, like, the BFG and that yeah. same... No. Um, which... Story-wise and thematically, there's a few bit of crossover there, but no, this is definitely it's a story about grieving and loss, um, and sort of about the pain that people go go through before death, and the feelings of guilt they have about you know. Um, if you've seen my, uh, our friend Sam Watermeyer, has a terrific short review, but very wonderfully said in Nuvo News Weekly, talking about you know he went through some of these. He and I both lost our fathers around the same time, although he was much younger than me when it happened, and just that the push and pull of. You know, on the one hand, you want to save them, but there's the part of you that knows you can't save them, and you you just want them to be over. Yeah. And where you're mm -hmm. you're on some level unconsciously pushing the person away because it's a defense mechanism of knowing that I'm going to have to be on my own without them before too long, and I just want it that to hurry up and happen, and mm -hmm. you know, get get to the point of pain that I know is coming. Um, and that's kind of really what this movie is about, you know. And, and people have asked us when we were on John Kroll's show a couple of weeks ago, you know, is there a theme in the years of two, the cinematic year? I mean, I've seen a lot of, well, at least the films that I identify with and work with me, they're about, you know, there's sort of like an elegy about loss, mourning, grieving, you know, just so many, so much of those themes in different ways in so many movies, and probably most. Um, you know, pronounced in the Monster Calls. So, ladies and gentlemen, I don't recommend a double bill of a Monster Calls followed by Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. You know, this, this, then the young ha young lad's gonna have to learn to do the funeral arrangements and you know, hang out with grandma some more. Uh, but no, that's that's not a good double bill. But no, Monster Calls really really good. How old how old is BB now? Two and a half. Okay, not quite yet, maybe. But not then, quite. but then again, no, what was what was her nickname for Equus? The, the, was it? What, did she call it the horsey play? Yeah, 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 horsey play. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, anyway, she will have a sense of humor. Working on it. Very, she does already, actually. I was traumatized by ET when I was four, so in another year and a half, you know. Right. Let her let her rip. Well, wow. Well, I mean, she did watch Rudolph, which, when you get right down to it, is abominable snowman. Cruel. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Not not just the abominable snowman, but I always remember the moment. It's when the snowman Burl Ives. When he turns away and shudders, when you know your narrator is even scared, and it, it didn't register that way, but I was like, God, even that guy who's putting us through the story is scared. Ugh. I, uh, I think the first thing, well, I, I, I'm 
slightly older than all of you, but I, but I remember I was a I was a a unsuspecting product of the what I call the the grown up animated films of the seventies and early eighties. I'm looking at you, Watership Down. Oh, and of course, oh. the author passed away recently Just last as week. Well. So, the um, Secret of Nim. Secret of Nim. Oh, yeah. Also, um, Fantastic Planet. I was just thinking about Fantastic Planet. Yeah, Tell not, me you didn't see that at a young age, or maybe uh, you did. I did actually. Oh, wow. There right. was there was a there was a cable channel. This was before HBO in, in Michigan. It was called uh, Channel 100, and. Um, I saw I saw Fantastic Planet. Was it pirated? What? No, no, <laughs> shut up. Um, we don't live there anymore. But no, no. But I remember, in, and this was in the daytime, of course. But uh, uh, Fantastic Planet, Watership Down, The Mouse and His Child. That's another dark, odd film. But uh, Land Before Time was totally dark. Yeah, that's that's on that as well. But yeah, that's that. We Lord should call IU Cinema, maybe disturbing animated of the 70s and early 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then what was um, Plague Dogs, which I never see, but I always hear about. Mm, um, I don't know. It's also from the, the author of Watership Down. Mm. But uh, so anyway, that that was my that was my early uh, cinematic spook. Well, that and Jaws at five. That's a bad that's a bad combo. Oh, and speaking of animation and, yeah. and sad things, <laughs> Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Yeah, I. But- I Talk think about that later. yeah, we'll get to dead people we like, but yeah, I I think quite possibly if you do, I think uh, uh the all animated voice acting team team picture, I I think Debbie Reynolds and Charlotte Webb is is on there. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. really solid. Um, the Land Before Time joke was to make you feel old, by the way. Noted. Okay. Um, something, something, dinosaurs. <laughs> something, something, danger zone. <laughs> something, something, sharp tooth. That's fine. Um, all right. Really, there's nothing of note on video. I guess Blair Witch, and that's really about it. Is there Denial. Anything? Denial is out. Oh, is that week? out this week? Yeah. Okay, so Timothy Spall might get a nomination. He's kind of due. Yeah. Probably Tom Wilkinson has a better shot. Uh, really? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, uh, and then, of course, the great Rachel Weiss who had, count them, four, four really amazing performances in 2016. And unfortunately, I don't, it's like they're canceling each other out, so I don't think she's getting a lot of mojo going into the Golden Globes and the Oscars. Uh, Did she even get a Golden Globe dom- nomination? I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look. But I'm trying to remember, so she was in The Lobster, she was in uh, Complete Unknown, uh, she was in Denial, and there's one other one in there that she was really amazing in. Ladies and gentlemen, we have hot online clicking action because um, that's what we do here at Film Sociology. Um, Doing our research right as now. it's happening. Uh, don't no, don't see it. Uh, last uh, last Golden Globe nomination was for Deep Blue Sea. Wow. So uh, oh, she, um, oh, that movie. Her was agent so wasn't parceling good. out her her uh, genius roles uh, in the, well enough. Mm-hmm. The Light Between the Oceans. She's very oh, very, that's right. Very underrated movie in general, I think, but she was terrific in that. Um, I know a certain somebody in my house that wants to see that because of Mr. Fassbender. So, yeah, she has taste. Yes, she does. <laughs> she should also watch Deep Blue Sea because Tom Hiddleston is in that. Okay, I'll tell her. Um, <laughs> she doesn't listen to this show. Why would I? So, Or, you know what? You can send her a note. That's good. Okay. Um, anyway, so, yeah, Denial is out there, which is, of course, uh, the story of uh, a, a lawsuit between a Holocaust denier and an academic. Yeah. And, and it's also, what I like about it is we've seen films about the legal system. This is one about the British legal system. Yeah. And, it, and it feels like... It should it should be in 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 bright light lights on the marquee. Okay, Americans, this is how it's done elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, there are put, wigs in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> as I put in my uh, my video review, you know, the British otherwise fine folks, but their libel laws are really screwy. Which the basic is that you know if you sue someone uh, for libel in Great Britain, the onus is upon the accused to prove that what they wrote or said is true, uh, as opposed to here, obviously the. You know, the person making the accusations has to prove them. So through this weird thing, because he's a Holocaust Holocaust denier, she called him a Holocaust denier, and he sued her for libel. So in effect, her, she and her team of lawyers have to prove that the Holocaust happened. Um, so imagine that going into a court of law to do that. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it's one of those movies obviously, you know, plays out with not a whole lot of surprises, but just the performances are so great. Um, and also the Timothy Spall portraying this guy, it's a really weird, icky role performance. Which is why he's going to get nominated. But, you know, you know, the thing, the thing is, you know, he obviously he's, he's just good a, at that, though. He's such a horrific human being, and yet 
he's strangely charismatic, even a little bit. See Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, there it is that, and and there's there's a, a terrific moment. It's not really a spoiler, but near the end of the film, because guess what? This film does end with a court decision. But when he goes to shake Tom Wilkinson's hand. And just... that's, that's so beautifully played, yeah. uh, which will give anything too much away. And, and I've said before, uh, you know, the physical resemblance uh, of our president-elect, uh, which I never saw before, is is actually kind of creepy because he slimmed down a little bit for this movie, yep. and uh, it's totally there. So the in- inevitable uh, Trump biopic that's going to be coming out, Timothy Spall. Directed by Oliver some, Stone. Somebody give him a call. <laughs> right. But no, I think Spall's never been nominated. I thought he should have been nominated for Mr. Turner. So I think there's a little history because we like to an- overanalyze here, uh, film nerds. But um, but the fact that he's never received a nomination yet, and it is that kind of showcase, creepy, uncomfortable, villainous, charismatic, I think he might actually finally get nominated this year. I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, I think the film just didn't break out, you know, didn't mm-hmm. didn't get enough attention. I mean, you don't have to make like a lot of money and be in a lot of covers of magazines, but you at least have to get like like hell or high water is like well positioned in that, you know, it, it had just enough cultural impact to get noticed. And but but uh, who do we deem as best actress at the IFJA? And hopefully that will get a bigger push. Uh, Rebecca Hall for Christine, which yep. I mean hasn't come out here, may not actually even come out in theaters here, which would be interesting for us to give our, our award to a movie that never opened in Indiana. That's okay. We gave our best documentary to that. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Look online. You can see where it is. We've uh... best television show of 2016. <laughs> Moving. Uh, all right. So anyway, that is out there. Um, there's a couple titles I forgot to mention, and, and I, I feel obligated because, well, they sent it to me. Um, the Film Movement uh, uh, Club, which is basically the Video of the Month Club. They also have a classic section, which is fun. And they sent me uh, two films. And I, actually, Chris, I was going to ask you about um, Japanese crime drama filmmaker Beat Takeshi. Mm, don't know him too well. Have to We'll work on that, but we'll uh, on that. but they sent me they sent me two films. One one was and this is B Takeshi is it's slightly different. He's only made a couple films that kind of sort of got a release. There was one called Brother with Omar Epps that sort of played a little bit, maybe God, fifteen years ago. But he, but the thing that got him noticed he was he was a comedic actor, comic TV actor, and in order to break out of that mold, he made a film in 1989 called Violent Cop, which sounds like. A bootleg, you know, sounds like a badly. If you need to retitle a film, something or sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a Corman kind of title, right? Kind of that, or you know, start yeah, start uh, either Harvey Keitel or Jack Palance in 1979. Either way, one of those. But 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 it is it is uh, B. Takeshi's version of the corrupt cop film or the you know the the uh, beyond the law type of cop film, and it's not. And I think that's the other thing is because. There was a, uh, an action film from Asia in the 80s. We expected John Woo as far as style or a Jackie Chan for for physicality. And this one, it's it's full of grit. Not true, but but grit nonetheless. Uh, thank you. But uh, <laughs> but but he's quite good in it. And if if you enjoy seeing uh, cops beating up folks, that's one there. And then there's an odd one that he did right after it called Boiling Point. Which is a group of guys who play baseball who have a run-in with a yoko- local yakuza. Never a good thing to run into. Interesting. Yeah, um, and it's 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 not even close to anything like violent cop, but it does have crime elements and baseball. So anyway, those baseball the, is really big in Japan. It is huge. So much that Tom Selleck did a movie there twenty some odd years ago as yeah, Mister Baseball. Mr. baseball yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, th- those are out there as well. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, I, I think I'm the last one in the IFJ, not just the IFJA on the planet, to discuss this top ten because last week's show was recorded. I was uh, Chris. I, I guess I'm asking because it's been almost a month since the IFJA met and we had our, our big uh, verbal fisticuffs. Has your top ten changed since the last time we met, or at least when, since we uh, we posted the IFJA awards? Not what was in the top ten. I think maybe the ordering, maybe in the bottom five. You too, huh? Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, you know, like this. Okay, I like this one a little bit more. You know, when I actually get down to the bones of saying, because I have to put it down on paper, either for the app or for the TV show, that that's that's when I point where where I just make my decision. And and I had to, you know, I found I think eleven films that I really wanted to include. I mean, you know, you start with like fourteen, and you oh, okay, I'll take that one. And I, I, you know, I had a, I was at my number eleven, 
because I don't order, you know, I'll throw in like an additional list of 12 to 15 or whatever, and I don't order those. But uh, I had a tough time. Captain Fantastic was my number 11. Had a really hard time eliminating it. So if I can give that away. If there is, if there is in fact, an official number 11 on my list, it's, it would be Captain Fantastic. Do you remember your 10? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to find it now just in case. But <laughs> well, You're going to bring it up on the list for me. Well, he remembers uh, 11. Hell or, Hell or High Water, number one. Um, um, uh, Birth of a Nation, number two. Monster Calls, number three. I think... Manchester by the Sea was f- no. Uh, Sing Street was four. Manchester by the Sea was five. Uh, Fences was at six or seven. Kubo and the Two Strings was at seven or eight. Come on, you. Ha- I'm you- trying. I have there's Sam's list, but I don't see yours. Patriots Day I think was at number ten. Um, was and- that so? That was that was was that good? Yeah. It, well, I guess if it was on stuff then. <laughs> well, like, I, I just saw that, and I really questioned if that was a movie that even needed to be made. Patriot's Day? Yeah. Well, it's it, it kind of takes the form of, like, a, a, a crime procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you, you know, again, you, you, you know what's going to happen. There's no surprises. But I just like the fact that they took us to step through that, the intensity of it, you know, the way people were, were actually behaving behind the scenes. I mean, you, you've seen that stuff before of, like, you know, we're the feds, and we're going to come in here and take over your crime scene, and people... Mm-hmm. Push back on the, then you got the the politicians in there doing their thing, um, and I also like the fact that they told the story of the two terrorist brothers, you know, concurrently, you know, essentially two linear stories that converge at the end there. So you know, it was just one of those films that I, I admire the craftsmanship of it, you know, the universally great performances of it, you know, and and I do it, great thing to take a piece of true story, true history that you think you know everything about. And then, like, I learned things, like the extent of the incredible shootout that they had there in the water. I think Watertown was the name of the, mm-hmm. the neighboring mm-hmm. city where they had the thing. And just, you know, learning things in details I did not know before. So I always appreciate that when a movie uh, can make you take something that you thought you knew everything about and learn it a little bit more. Okay. You're going to help me out. I'm missing that. No, you, okay, list. here it is. It's, yeah, so here's yours. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Lloyd's top ten. As written by Chris Lloyd, not from his memory. But not remembered. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I think we're obligated to do that at the end of the year, and then you move on. So, And the fact that we see these films way before y'all, sorry, it just happens. All right. Your number one, Hell or High Water. Two, Birth of a Nation. Three, Monster Calls. Four, Everybody Wants Some. That was it. That's also on mine. Uh, five, Manchester by the Sea. Six, Sing Street. Street. Seven, Fences. Eight, Kubo and the Two Strings. Nine Deadpool. Oh yeah. Ten Patriots Day. And, and I got a lot of um, pushback from people about putting Deadpool on my list, and I oh. said I have no shame about that. It was, I mean, the best superhero movie I've seen in probably five years. It was smart, incredibly smart movie. Mm-hmm. Funny. Did all sorts of really brave and innovative storytelling. Great things. use of Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, <laughs> I am not in general a big Ryan Reynolds fan. I, we know and I that. loved him in this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just pleasantly blown away by that. And movie. a film, can, you know, you can have a film in your top ten that's fun. You're allowed see, to have fun and, movies and that makes some money. <laughs> see Mad Max Fury Road. Um, <laughs> and then your, I'm, I'm going through this because I have this. Your, your, uh, your 14 honorable mentions. We like long list here at the uh, Film Sociology. But uh, oh, well, you're talking to the guy who made his top 75 last year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay, so he's cutting back. The BFG, uh, Born to be Blue, um, Captain Fantastic, Christine, Elvis and Nixon, Hacksaw Ridge, The Handmaiden, date film, uh, Cresha, <laughs> The Light Between the Oceans, Maggie's Plan, Moana, Our Little Sister, Swiss Army Man, and Wiener. Yep. So good list. Yeah, good. Our Little Sister, my favorite foreign film of last year, which unfortunately, unfortunately just nobody else saw. Hoping people will find that on video. Yeah. All right. My top ten. Uh, number ten was Life Animated. Uh, wow. Wonderful documentary about uh, a, a man with autism who winds up communicating thanks to Disney. And actually, Disney puts a positive spin on itself by allowing the footage to be used. Yes. And I never thought a scene involving Gilbert Godfrey would put a lump in my throat. Yeah, really? So between, I would say, between this and his moment doing the Aristocrats in the documentary Aristocrats and, of course, Yago, he's good. He's Good. fine. He's he's <laughs> all right in my book. Um, anyway, that's yeah. Number nine, the lobster, probably the most original of the films. Uh, number eight, everybody wants some. So, and I have to thank you. I mean, I, I wanted to see it because it was Richard Linkletter, um, and it's it's a, just a weekend with a bunch of college bros in Texas, right before uh, college baseball players, and it captures that world 
perfectly. Time and a place. Yep. So, um, number seven, Sing Street. Go rent Sing Street. It's from John Carney. If he can come up with a new way of doing musicals a dozen more times, I won't be bored. <laughs> um, and then Heller High Water. Number five is Jackie. Number four is Fences. Three, Moonlight. Two, Manchester by the Sea. And my top film of 2016 is La La Land. Yeah. So, Aww. yeah, we like we like old fashioned musicals. And it o- it owes a little bit to Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and it, it's a lighter version of New York, New York. <laughs> which, which by the way, if you if you want to if you see La La Land and then see New York, New York, it's like <laughs> Scorsese wanted to make a '40s musical and a Cassavetes film at the same time, <laughs> and it's a shift in tone. But I I shamelessly enjoy it. So anyway, that's my ten. Now it's 2017. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> All right. Um. I do want to mention uh, over at IU Cinema, and of course, ladies and gentlemen, this all depends on when you listen to the show because it's on three times the weekend. Uh, this weekend is Elvis's birthday, so IU Cinema has on Sunday, January the eighth, Elvis's birthday itself at three o'clock. His best for me, his possibly his best musical, Viva Las Vegas, and it's splashy and brainless, but he gets to go body to body with Anne Margaret, and well, we, we salute you, sir. <laughs> And then uh, that's followed at 6.30 with the great 1970 concert documentary, Elvis, That's the Way It Is. Um, And that's two of my favorites. I think Viva Las Vegas, the two concert films, uh, Elvis on Tour and this, King Creole, um, Jailhouse Rock, which is being shown at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin this weekend. So that's really cool. Um, that's a really, it's a really great place to see a movie. What? Is anybody doing Love Me Tender? No, and oh, uh, that's not a bad one either. Oh, um, I, I've, I, I keep talking because John Kroll wants to do an Elvis show someday on No Limits, and we've we've <laughs> talked about that. And you know, Elvis, besides being you know the entertainment icon that he is, I still think he's one of show business show business's biggest what could have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? What if he took control of his career e- more? What if he pushed Tom Parker away a little bit? What if he took out a dozen of his films? What if, you know, he didn't have the rights to his own music until 1973? You know, and wow. what if he didn't have to tour as much? And what if he didn't have to pop as much? So, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, but that's that. Those all those titles we just mentioned, pretty good for Elvis weekend. Not bad. Um, Let's see. Also at IU Cinema, uh, Tempopo on Monday and Thursday. And then Friday the 13th, uh, the documentary Fire at Sea. Saturday the 14th, double feature, uh, Phantom Boy at 3 o'clock. And then at 7 o'clock, Martin Scorsese's Kundun. So, oh. And I actually like Kundun. So anyway, that is... We should mention uh, Martin Scorsese's silence. Any word on... The, the great silent picture that we, you know... The we one beg for. F- the one film we could not get them to show to us, or apparently to a lot of the regional critic groups, um, is finally coming out next week. So is it next week? Yep. Nice. Okay, so... I was going to uh, say, uh, you know, timely for a Martin Scorsese epic set in Asia. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, so anyway, that's that's out there at IU Cinema, and of course we got uh, we got that taken care of. Um... So Chris, I guess what now that I've, I've I've tickled your brain over, and I just I just pulled the page off. What's happening over at the film app? Oh, we're writing about some movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Yeah, we we uh, we keep saying we need to do more podcasts, but somehow we keep not getting around to it. Uh, besides, it's kind of your thing. We don't we don't want to step on your deal. You're not you're not stepping on my deal. Uh, well, well, I should say the uh, one thing I think starting next week. I think it's next week, might be the week after, Sam Watermeyer is going to be starting a new series. And we kind of like to do these things where we have a, a writer will volunteer to like do something over the course of a few months or even over the course of a whole year. Whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's going to be starting something called The Long and Short of It. Um, and it's just yeah. literally he's going to he's going to yeah. he's going to wa- seek out some really long movies that he has not seen before. Um and uh, and just tell you what he thinks of it. It's kind of for the same reasons, like I do, that the reeling the reeling backward column is like it's it's a chance no, to watch stuff we haven't seen. Yeah, no matter how many movies you've seen in your life, there's always going to be stuff that you haven't seen, um, and it's just constantly. So I you know try and do it so that I have at least I do it biweekly biweekly, so I know I have at least twenty six classic films that I haven't seen before. That I will catch up on every year, and it happens, folks. Don't don't have a heart attack when a film critic hasn't seen something. Yeah, well, the big one, always, you know, like the, the Sound of Music. 
Um, although I've tried. I've, you I've still got, haven't finished I've that? gotten about 20 minutes into it. It's in my Netflix queue. I'm silently <laughs> I'm, judging you. I'm going I'm <laughs> to so try and get through it. We can hear you, dear. Um, <laughs> actually, I just uh, just uh, started watching on Netflix. I'll probably finish it tonight or tomorrow. Is Barbarella. Never saw Barbarella. You're a first. dude, and you haven't watched Barbarella. I've wow. not seen Barbarella. Um, I thought you would watch that where your family was gone. Oh, uh, well, I did. I, <laughs> I did watch. Uh, uh, we talked about uh, some of the, like the screeners for IFJ that we, we couldn't get to before the vote. Ones that I felt like I didn't really need to see because no one was pushing them for now. Awards. The distributors are judging us. Yeah, well, like Swiss <laughs> Army Man. I hadn't seen that okay. before, you but like I was it? glad I did. It ended up making my top ten oh, and some more yeah. left. I would say because yeah, your your folks went away, your family went away a little, yeah, a little bit. F- first time I've been been away from them. You know, since six years. That's that's a lot of not pants wearing around the house. Yeah, well, like like Cameron, so he's three now. That that was the first night that he and I not did not sleep in the same house. Wow. Um, so what did you watch? Well, I did, Swiss Army Man. So, I watched the uh, the Neon Demon. Oh jeez. Which the, <laughs> boy, from the director of Drive. Which I've really liked uh, a lot of his stuff, but boy, that was a piece of junk. It was kind of his All About Eve. I felt a little. Yeah. And I, I really know. like Drive, and only God forgives is is okay. Yeah, he's kind of dipping down a little bit. Kudos for Ellie Fanning, I mean, but vis- visually, it's an astonishing film. He did a lot of things with like strobe lighting and different colors, so like you just see like a portion of someone's yeah. face that shows up in strobe, like in red. It's I mean, by, by the way, folks, it's a backstabbing look at the fashion industry. From, yeah, from the director of Drive. <laughs> and also, I, I found out because they said this. Um, I mentioned listening to uh, the Blade Runner soundtrack in the dark. Uh, oh. The Neon Demon one's also pretty good. The Drive to really? in the dark. Who, who did yeah. that right. score? I don't remember. Oh, I'll okay. check on that. I'll look it up. Thank you, dear. Probably not Vangelis, though. No, <laughs> afraid not. Oh, by the way, is it Vangelis or Vangelis? I have. Heard, uh, I, I've been. Ber- I've, I've always I thought it was Vangelis. I've been berated for calling it Vangelis, so I don't really know. It's okay. It, it doesn't matter because it's a. It, my wife has a different name for him because she yells at him over chariots of fire and the whole synth movement in the eighties. I I, so you're lo- I, I love. I should not try to use any of that for the sound design I'm doing for her show. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, she blames she blames him and the kid in Fame. So. Oh. I, I love those synthesized scores from the 80s. Well, but, I really wish right, people would I, go back to doing them. I, for Blade Runner, yeah. It works. Did you need it for Chariots of Fire? Did you need it for Educating Rita? Or The Natural? <laughs> Lady Hawk. Cliff Martinez oh, did the music oh, okay. for Neon Demon. Cliff Martinez. Thank you, dear. So that's why she's here. No, it's not. Um, I mean, you can't really dog synth music. I mean, that's how Ramin Javadi does all of his scoring. It's as Brian pointed out to me that his entire a, orchestra is synthesized. It's gotten a lot more sophisticated since 1982. I mean, it sounds great, but it is synth. Yeah, and I was pointing out to like uh probably I don't know, 20 years ago I went out and bought a CD of the Blade Runner score and back then there was some deal with the rights or whatever, you could only get the this orchestrated version Oh, it was of terrible. It. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was just beyond awful. So finally, you could get the real one just, mm-hmm. just a few years ago. I picked it up and I, I, I think I ceremonially burned the other one. Nice. <laughs> did, um, did it have, did it have the voiceover? That's what I was going to ask. Because I have, I have, I have a, ni- I have a 1994 disc I found and it does have some voiceover. You, you just can't hear Mr. Ford being dragged into the oh, studio. Oh, no, yeah, right. yeah. There was that edition. I have b- both that and the three-disc edition. Yeah. I hate it when yeah. they do those voiceovers. That's like on the Tron soundtrack. They totally killed Daft Punk by including voiceovers. Oh, but they were talking... I think he was talking about like the voiceover from the original cut. Oh, no, I know. I know. It was, I know that yeah. was horrible. I'm just saying in general. Which, yeah. which Harrison idea. Ford actually tried to deliberately tank so they wouldn't use it, but they and used it anyway. Thanks, Warner <laughs> Brothers. <laughs> everyone, everyone hates the voiceover. For Harrison Ford still talks about it. Ridley Scott hates it. Everyone hates it. Except Guillermo del Toro, apparently. I like it. Oh, well. Okay. I like you, the, you I, and Guillermo my, del Toro. I like the original theatrical version of the film. I can't stand... Any of the, the really? various wow. Oh, see, he refuses to show me the original. Oh my God! Cut. The, 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 uh, the, the last director, and I, I, there's been like five now. I think the last one I saw was maybe about you know two or three versions ago. There's a scene where like you know a freaking unicorn popped out in the middle of nowhere and started running through the forest, and I was like, oh my God, that just little, little B-roll get, from Legend. Get me out of here! Yeah, uh, was it literally from Legend? Yes. Oh man. 
Um, and the ending. And the shining. No. And, and the ending where, where <laughs> he this, was dreaming. Where it's deliberately trying to be a European ending, which means there's no ending. It just stops. The movie just stops. Yes. Yeah, I, I hate that. I mean, yes, the the ending of the original theatrical version <laughs> makes no sense. It's but it's an ending. Really tacked on. It's it's an ending. Eh. You know, someone goes into an elevator and the elevator door closes. That's not an ending. That's stopping the movie. And endings are hard. So I give people great credit when they can do a wonderful ending to a movie. I give people credit when they can do a not so great ending to the movie. I don't give people credit when they don't. Well, do maybe Ridley was just setting the stage for the thirty. 30- <laughs> Five years later, sequel that's coming out. Yeah, and how are you looking forward to that? Yeah, he was totally mm. planning that. It's going to have to work direct- very hard to justify its existence. Why is he? Why isn't he directing it? I think he's like an executive producer. He's executive producer. He's got things to do. So he's like he's he's after he's Prometheus. I don't mind that he's not directing it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, gosh, you want to talk about justifying the existence of something? Why did they make Prometheus? Same reason why dogs lick their elbows Be- because they can. Well, and yeah. well, and but dogs can't make millions of dollars at the box office by licking their elbows. Airbud agrees. Which <laughs> Prometheus did not. Right. No. Not, not enough for its huge it, budget. It made anyway. enough to justify a sequel, apparently. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I um, – that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I uh, while I was on vacation, I wound up picking up stuff that – because we, we had a, we had a, kind of a daily procedure. I would get some in the morning before my, my family would wake up, and they took a long time getting up. So I would just kind of plop stuff in, like uh, <coughs> the 1961 <coughs> film version of Summer and Smoke – with Geraldine Page and Lawrence Harvey wow. and young Rita Moreno. And it's, you know, my wife is going, it sounds like bad Tennessee Williams. I said, it's because it is Tennessee Williams. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I love Geraldine Page. So there was that, and we watched Bye Bye Birdie. So here's, what's more absurd about Bye Bye Birdie, okay? Um, Janet Lee playing what should have been Cheetah Rivera's role, or... Maureen Stapleton being the mother of Dick Van Dyke, and she's less than a year older than he is, or 23-year-old Anne Margaret as a high schooler. Speaking of coming around on yes. the subject of inappropriately yes, aged high all school of that. people. So, <laughs> um, and then when it went, when it, jumping on the cinematic gene pools, I did finally watch my Criterion copy of The Manchurian Candidate. Oh, speaking Ooh. of uh, inappropriately mo- aged mothers. Mothers, happy Mother's Day there. Wasn't Angela Lansbury actually younger than Lawrence Harvey? No, I think she was... Or like barely three a year years older? Okay. older, something of that. But I think she was she was, and her character was nine when she had Elvis in Blue Hawaii. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I think the winner is, if I recall, it's it's one of the Gary Grant Hitchcock movies. I think it's North oh, by North, North, North. Yeah, by the North. mother's the, younger. The mother is a few months younger than him. That's right. But you know, yeah. he's Cary Grant. Which my line on Cary Grant, you know, it was that like you watch him like old movies when he was like twenty four and first starting. He looked like he was about 38 years old. Yep. And then when he was 62, he, he looked about 38 years <laughs> yeah, old. He just kind of like, kind of like Steve Martin in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, Paul Rudnick once wrote in Premiere Magazine, uh, Cary Grant is not from England. He's from Cary Grant land. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we, well, we watched a, a bunch of like Pigskin Parade, which was a old, like one of the wow. first 20th century Fox musicals with young Judy Garland. And it's a, co- a musical about a college football game. And weird, but fun. I mean, it was, it was just... Kind of loose, goofy stuff. Um, anyway, so uh, I want to get to – well, hold on. I, I think I have – yeah, um, if you get a chance uh, – and I don't know when they're going to replay it, so you have to go to pbs.org or your local NPR uh, website. But American Masters this week did a piece on Sidney Lumet called called by Sidney Lumet. And Lamette's one of my favorite filmmakers, yeah. and uh, as as my daughter realized, he's made some of the best men in suits talking films of all time. <laughs> when it's films like Twelve Angry Men, and The Verdict, and Serpico, and Network, and Prince of the City, and it's kind of I I. I don't know when PBS is going to have this out on video. I really want to have it so I can also watch it with uh, De Palma, which is it's, and it's basically a one man show. It's it's. Lamette talking about his films to a certain degree, but he talks about the current theme, recurring themes that happen in his films: family, loyalty, redemption, uh, you know, angst, <laughs> um, suits. Yeah, suits. Yelling. But uh, but anyway, it, it was it was it was fascinating to watch. And there's about nine of his films that I haven't seen yet, and I really want to. I guess, Chris, your your thoughts on Sidney Lamette? One of the true giants, you know, and one of those guys that. You know, we, we've talked here on the show about there's a lot of great directors who had really wonderful periods and then just seemed to burn out really fast. I mean, like the most notable being Francis Ford Coppola, who just, you know, had a 10-year span in the 1970s where he just made one seminal film after the other. 
and not, hasn't come close since. Yeah. Uh, Rob Reiner, you know, from like Ooh. 1983 to 1993, just made some amazing films. Mm-hmm. Sidney Lumet was a guy who, like, you know, from the 50s to the 2000 teens, he was just making great movies all the time. You know, never lost, you know, anything off his fastball. Mm-hmm. Uh, just such wonderful, great movies. You know, uh, something you can do. I, I did recently like to take walks during lunchtime and I'd be like listening to like uh, like go to YouTube or whatever and you can listen to um, commentary tracks for different movies that people have just put on YouTube you can listen to they have the one for the verdict on there I love that and, you film. know it's like two two hours and 20 minutes of uh, Sydney talking about the movie and all the different things and it's just absolutely mesmerizing stuff I think he doesn't get a lo- uh, enough credit um, or as much uh, he's, he's not top of mind when you think of the big directors because That's a shame. He's, he, he he was never the um, visual powerhouse auteur, right? You know, like a like a De Palma or a Kubrick mm. or or something like that. But but he his work was always just really solid, and he didn't didn't intrude his own style on whatever he was doing. He he just served the story. And I think while Scorsese and Coppola and De Palma all were film school guys. You know, his training was in the theater. Mm-hmm. The, he had the three, you know, the, the, the trifecta of theater, then live television. The guy did a lot of television yeah. and in theater. And, and the fact that he had enough pull that he would rehearse with his actors for a couple of weeks before shooting, and they were quick, <coughs> on time or early, and under budget. And uh, when you do that, you get to do a lot of films. Mm-hmm. And and most of the time. His his films have been at least somewhat interesting. I mean, even even something I I found uh, my my dear friend Laura Jansen and I started a bad movie club because of Guilty as Sin, <laughs> because of Don Johnson and, and Rebecca De Mornay, and that's you know that's one of his misfires. But if you have a few cocktails in you, it's fun to watch. Uh, you know, when your last film is before the nev- devil knows you're dead, and you still have the f- best physical acting performance out of Vin Diesel, the three things Vin should should you know gets him a pass. Find Me Guilty, Groot, and The Iron Giant. And that's really <laughs> it. So anyway, it's out there. Go check it out. Um, it's, it's, it's really cool. I, I do have a piece of audio, and the other reason why I have wonderful guests here. Doing our, uh, the annual show of uh, Dead People We Like. <laughs> there's, a, there's a pretty big one this we week. We don't too. have time for Dead People We Don't Like. Yes. Um, I, I love that you you keep playing that because like the first like I, like I screw up the second word I say is our annual show when it's the weekly show. I, <laughs> like I've never screwed up on the show ever. It's just Kobe's not here to capture them. So if, no, if, if, if there were an annual dead people we don't or dead people we like for 2016, it would be the it would be the show. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> what, was it you that wrote basically the Oscars is going to be a three hour death montage? Yes. This year? Yes. Yeah, I thought that was you. But before we get to the big two because we haven't discussed it, but I've, this, this actually just came out. Today, Friday, when we recorded this, but Indian actor Om Puri. Yeah. Hope I'm saying that right. He's age is 66. Since 1975, 300 credits. Now, of course, in wow. India, they yeah. really pump out mm-hmm. films. They are not. Oh, yeah. the, you you think they America has too many films? India is just nonstop. And so, and that's. A, I, I want to start finding some more films from India that he did. But the first, of course, I went through, and it's he's one of those guys. He's a classic international. That guy. And uh, not really a shock. He was in Gandhi back in 1982. I forgot because it, it, he was in City of Joy, because yeah. you have to think of Dr. Patrick Swayze, from 1992 with Roland Joffe. He, I forgot he was the doctor in Wolf, oh. Mike Nichols' film, oh, yeah. The Ghost in the Darkness. The thing that really kind of signaled like <clears throat> where he kind of got that guy status for me was the 1997 film My Son the Fanatic, mm. where he is a cab driver having a relationship with a prostitute played by Rachel Griffiths. Way to go, big shooter. Uh, then he worked with Ismail Merchant several times as a director, like the Mystic Masseur. He played President Zia in Charlie Wilson's War. And then most recently, that folks saw him, and he was the father in uh, The 100-Foot Journey. Mm. So salute, sir. Um, I I can't remember who wrote it first, but of course, you know, Carrie Fisher died while well, while well, actually while I was on vacation, and then twenty four hours later, Debbie Reynolds has to steal one more scene, <laughs> and uh, and sure enough, she she pulled it off. I think part of the reason, and that's why we have this 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 quartet here. What's and we'll get to Debbie, but Carrie was able to reinvent herself many different ways. Yes, and. You know, yes, there's the stuff for the fanboys of the early films, 
And then when the film career wasn't really going anywhere, she switched to writing. There were, the Onion had a nice piece about celebrating Carrie Fisher, the writer. And then she became the person we want to be when we're 60. Basically, yeah. yeah. Of of That is who not, I want to be. Not giving, not giving a belief about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also being able to take what has happened to her off screen and control – I shouldn't say controlling it, but um, – Coping is probably the best word. Thank you. And Thank and you. capitalizing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Instead of other people capitalizing on it. Yeah, or, you know, just um, being overtaken by it. She, in writing Wishful Drinking, because, so, if I'm remembering correctly, in writing Wishful Drinking, she, which was her, I think that was her first big book. Um, well, actually, Postcards from the Postcards Edge. From Postcards from the Edge. Sorry, yeah. yeah, after Postcards from the Edge. You weren't around when that happened, dear. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm young. Um but she it was it was after she had experienced electroconvulsive therapy for the first time so she had been on tour before she had her um ECT treatment ECT is electroconvulsive therapy um <clears throat> and she wrote the book as a kind of journey in cuz she had lost all of the memories that she was recounting in this show so in writing the book she was slowly kind of piecing her memory back together which is because memory loss is a huge side effect of um ECT but um, she just she took this really scary thing that a lot of people think is archaic and um, isn't practiced anymore, and it actually is. People and it's think not, of one flew over the cuckoo's yeah, nest. Yeah, yeah, you think of one flew over the cuckoo's That's nest. That's 1950-something. And, so. and it's not like that anymore, but she, she took it and she normalized it, which was just amazing. It was, it was a gift to anybody who has experienced ECT, but also in a larger community, anybody with mental illness who wants to f- still feel like they are, you know, just a part of the world. Mm-hmm. I admire her greatly. Which is one of the reasons why you're here. Yeah. So. I cried when I saw Rogue One. Yeah. I, it's funny. We, we've talked before on and off air about the CG use in Rogue One. And I, you know, I, I think I said before, I, I disappointed you. I was like, I actually don't mind the dead eye animation of Robert Zemeckis, but, but Peter Cushing's presence in that uh, film really bummed me he out. Was, you want to talk about moist. He was just like, I'm like, your skin <laughs> should not twitch like that. And why are you so wet under the eyes? And so, yeah, that last moment at the end of Rogue One oh. really ha- now has a new, different connotation yeah, to we, that. Yeah, we saw it about four days after she died, and I, I had to pull myself together at the end of the movie. So that being said, so while Carrie Fisher was able to reinvent herself several ways, and, and everybody has their own path, I think, with her career, if you're of, of a certain age, if you remember Star Wars or you remember reading the stuff or you, you see her as the, the kind of crabby old lady that's funny as hell. She was great on 30 Rock when she when she basically lampshaded that. It was right. awesome. And and kind of in, to, a, to a certain degree, Debbie Reynolds was kind of the same way. I mean, her, her what, fifth or sixth film was Singing in the Rain. And and films like The Affair of Dobie Gillis and Tammy and the Bachelor. And then she got a nomination for Unsinkable Molly Brown. And then became entertainer, became mom, and and uh, doesn't quite turn into Shirley MacLaine. Had, a, had, I think, a bump in the mid-'90s because – and I, made, I have to find it uh, somewhere in the basement. But, you know, she had a one-two punch of mother – and playing the mom in In and Out, yes. and, and then it's just kind of kind of made that shift. It's kind of like Rosemary Clooney. She went from being, uh, you know, uh, it was like George. She was the main focal point, and then George became the main focal point. Yeah. And that was kind of mm-hmm. with Debbie to a certain degree. I mean, she she became one of the old broads, and yes, she did a movie about that with Liz Taylor, the the George Harrison Eric Clapton of of, of <laughs> movie starlets, I guess, old movie starlets, but. Uh, and as we mentioned before, um, I think one of the all-time great voiceover jobs in an animated film is, is her and Charlotte's Web. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else to add, gang? Well, uh, also her work uh, as a preservationist of uh, you know, film costumes in particular. Yeah, uh, she had like a giant An enormous collection. That's, uh, and I'm, I'm sure museums are now haggling for, uh, uh, for that collection because she was sort of a a one-woman Smithsonian of, uh, of film costumes. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I guess I would say if, if, you're, if you're to do a weekend, I would you know Star Wars and yes. Singing in the Rain, maybe Charlotte's Web, and then Postcards from the Edge. Yes. Incidentally, the, the indie star. Wishful drinking if you want something a little more lighthearted. Now, was that, that was an <laughs> HBO concert or performance? Yeah, I okay. believe so. And yeah. a companion book. 
Yep. Yeah. Incidentally, uh, uh, my other my other venture, the Indie Lightsaber Academy. Yes, please. Uh, yes. Which uh, you know, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, oh no! If you're saying it like Chris, it's you know it's lightsaber stuff and this and that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but uh, no. It, it, uh, we do teach uh, the martial art of lightsaber combat uh, at the at the YMCA at the City Way Tuesdays. But it, it, um, the Indie Star happened to come out to cover Indie Lightsaber Academy on the day that Carrie Fisher died. So uh, the article ended up with a, a, an unintentional resonance for for Star Wars fans. But uh, you know, got some actually pretty pretty good quotes out of some of our students uh, that day. Very cool. All right, we got a few minutes left. I I, I want to end the show, and I appreciate all three of you coming and hanging out. It's the last thing hopefully you have to do on the weekend. But uh, but this is a little bit little late than never. But um, I have a little musical treat that combines two of my favorite things: uh, Beatrice Hearts <laughs> and and Hans Zimmer. So uh, th- now takes this is it's a little long. Be patient with it, but you'll understand the payoff. Here we go. <laughs> Merry Christmas from your Uncle Kaiser. Aww. Thank you. <laughs> you are a fine man. This is <laughs> yeah, so, there you go. So anyway, uh, go to to check up on, you know, as Joe would say, a little of this, a little of that. Yeah, all, everybody's got their top ten lists on so you can peruse them all. Yeah, that's right. And make fun of our mug shots because that's 
whatever. That's what we do. And then uh, lightsaberacademy.com? Yes. Uh, just find us on Facebook, Indie, Indie Lightsaber Academy. There you or go. Or just drop in any Tuesday evening at uh, the City Way YMCA. 6.30 p.m. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, because, <laughs> well, the 6.30 a.m. attendance is real low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there's nobody there. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, words to live by. Soylent Green is people. Zardoz is spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Happy New Year, everyone. May the force be with you. It's people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. All right. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. I need somebody else to push buttons for me. Shut up, Monica. Uh, good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.